today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. My future plan for you is to give you hope, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to bless you. I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to return them from their captivity because I have an unbreakable covenant with them. It's not a breakable contract. That's different. It's a covenant and it's everlasting. And there's nothing or no one that can break that or stop that from happening. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. God desires for you to be blessed with His promise of love. Pastor J.D. shares with you through today's message that God's care for you is unending. He's gone to great lengths to make it so you can always experience His presence. He sent His Son, Jesus, so that you might be able to have eternal, abundant life with Him. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 33 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Why don't we call on the Lord? We call them, we call someone else first. Oh, I better call so-and-so. And the Lord's up here going, call me. You won't get voicemail. I'm always available. Have you ever thought about that? I know, I know we chuckle, but think about this. Think about this. Let this sink in. The God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, is available to me. I have unfettered access to Him. You know how we say, I know people in high places. Whatever. I happen to know someone in the most high place. I've got connections, man. I'm very powerful because <laughs> he's all power. i got to be careful. One time I said that, and my, my daughter looked at me like, ooh, pride comes before the fall. I said, that did not come out right. You know, out of the mouths of babes, right? So I grounded her for the rest of her life for that. But, but when I say I, I'm a very powerful person, I'm not talking about me. The most powerful person is the person who prays. Now think about this. I This may be for someone here watching online. Question, who's the most powerful person you know? You already know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, we tend to equate people in positions of power as being powerful. No. You know who the most powerful person in your life is? It's the person who prays. Because they're tapping in to the all-powerful God who is always available and waiting for us to just ask Him. Jesus, go ahead. (laughs) It's almost like there's this heavenly hush, if I can call it that. Quiet. J.D.'s going to pray. Get ready. Whatever He asks, if it brings glory to me, and it's good for Him, because every good and perfect gift comes from me, the Father above. If He asks, and it's good, and it brings me glory, you get down there, and you do it, man. Okay, stand by. Here He comes. Here He comes. 
then I walk up, you know, to my prayer closet, and here's my prayer. Oh, Lord, please bless the meal that we're going to participate. Okay, never mind, go back, false alarm. Here God had (laughs) just for the asking anything, anything. If I would have just but asked and called upon Him. He wants to show me things, but He can't. He wants to tell me things, but He can't. And here, like with Jeremiah, God is telling him and showing him the future plan that he has. Do you think that, here's Jeremiah, he's in prison, never imagine it like the prisons of today. I'm not dismissing the horror of being incarcerated, but these were prisons that were dungeons where people were thrown into and left to die. That's the kind of, that's his apartment, if I can say it like that. He's confined to whatever this dungeon of a cell is. You don't think he needs to hear this? You don't think that now he's encouraged by this? Don't you think that he's very glad he asked the Lord? It's like, okay, oh, Jeremiah, oh, oh, you have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you things that are just so over the top, off the charts, you're not going to believe it. Great and, and mighty things. Grand and glorious things. You know all those houses they're dismantling to build fortifications. I'm going to put it back together again. I'm going to rebuild them. And that's not all. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive them of all of their iniquity and all of their transgressions. That's an interesting delineation and one for which I don't have the time to get into tonight. But it's all going to be forgiven. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to rebuild their houses. I'm going to rebuild their city. And then when, not if I do it, you know what's going to happen. People are going to hear about it, all the surrounding nations and people, and they are going to fear and tremble with a holy fear because of the goodness and the prosperity that I have provided as only I can. This is the future plan I have for you. This is what I wanted to show you. And now that I've got you, and I've got your undivided attention, and you've quieted everything down, and now you're listening, I'm going to tell you things that are just absolutely unbelievable. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do, Jeremiah. I'm going to turn all this death and destruction to restoration and life. Verse 10, thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say, it is desolate without man and without beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy, verse 11, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His mercy endures forever and of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Wow, somebody needs to put that to song. Oh, they already did. Would you agree that everything we just read here in these verses are things that we every day take for granted? The other day I was in my uh, house and I heard this dove just cooing, really singing and praising God. And it was very pronounced. And it hit me. 
I don't, they're always singing and praising their Creator, but I'm not always hearing it. And it was quiet enough. In fact, <laughs> I turned the AC off, and I even turned the ceiling fan off. Have you ever noticed how much noise ceiling fans make? I mean, it was so quiet in there, and it allowed me the luxury, afforded me the luxury of hearing this dove cooing. And oh, it was so calming. It was such a blessing. And I thought to myself, I take this so for granted. So here's what God's saying here. There's no sounds. It's desolate. Uh, By the way, the sounds prior were horrific, unbearable. The screams, the horror, the terror, and now even that's gone. But what I'm going to do is, I'm going to restore all of that. And there's going to be the voice of joy. (laughs) There's something about laughter. We had some new tenants move into the rental uh, next door to where we live. Now the house had been vacant. We kind of enjoyed it actually not having people, you know, five feet away, actually 10 feet away technically, but, you know, because they're right there. You know, you open your windows, hi, how you doing? uh, Anyway, enough of my problems. So it was vacant for a while, and it was very quiet. And then new tenants moved in. We thought, ah. Then all of a sudden we heard laughter and life, and it was kind of like, oh, well, this is nice. There was joy and gladness and laughter and, oh, how about this celebration, the voice of the bride and the bridegroom. They would have parties, not the kind, you know, parties, but they would have, you know, people over and, you know, have dinner and, oh, it was nice. I even liked the music. It wasn't praise and worship music, but hey, I'll take it. At least it wasn't, you know, rap and that... Uh, or hard acid rock, or anything like that. It was it was good. It was pleasant, you know. And how about this? Why? Because the Lord is good. Now this uh, phrase we we run past it to our own really regret, actually, because His mercy endures forever. Let's. Uh, if you don't mind, think through that for just a moment. It's kind of like, let me back up. It's not like God is saying, oh man, i got to endure to show you mercy. No. It's not enduring mercy. It's more like endearing mercy. It's a mercy that is so endearing as to be enduring. It endures. You know what that word means? I mean, we always frame it in the context of a trial. Man, God, I need endurance. Okay, that's why I sent you the trial in the first place, (laughs) so that I would teach you endurance, because you actually prayed for endurance and perseverance. So that's why I brought the trial, because that's how you're going to get endurance and perseverance. Well, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have prayed for endurance and perseverance. But be that as it may, we always frame it in that context, right? But have you ever thought of it like this? It's kind of an enduring sustaining, endearing, loving mercy. His mercy endures forever, and we need it to endure forever. (laughs) And then the sacrifice of praise. For I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 12, in this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all its cities there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities, verse 13, of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, the flocks shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Again, things we take for granted. I'm going to restore all of that. Behold, verse 14, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days, verse 15, and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch, and that should be capitalized, hang on to that, a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, verse 16, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Wow. This is what we commonly refer to and know as a dual prophecy. It has its immediate fulfillment when God brings them back from the Babylonian captivity. And then it has its yet future fulfillment when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reigns and rules in righteousness, this branch of David is Jesus the Christ. Oh, it's good to know. How do you know? Oh, I asked. I called. I've got connections, remember? I called. He answered. He picked up. First ring. He, in fact, he doesn't even wait sometimes. With it. He already knows I'm going to call. He's going to call. Didn't even ring. He answered. Hi, JD. Oh, God. Oh, you answered. I know. I told you I would. You call, I will answer. Oh, ye of little faith. And, and I'm not only going to answer your call, I'm going to tell you things. Man, you know what's coming? And better said, you know who's coming? David, a branch of righteousness, the Savior of the world. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings, and to sacrifice continually. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, verse 19, saying, verse 20, thus says the Lord, This is, I love this. Watch this. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. (laughs) In other words, um, okay, so you wake up tomorrow, and you were able to thwart the sun from coming up during the day, and you were able to thwart the day, and then when nighttime came, you were able to somehow break my covenant with the night as you were with the day, then so too is my covenant with David broken as well. 
Well, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Good point. Right answer. It ain't going to happen. That's probably the best way to say that. As the host of heaven, verse 22, cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. The lesson here is very clear in no uncertain terms. God has an everlasting covenant. You know what an everlasting covenant is, right? It's a covenant that lasts forever. Yeah, everlasting covenant with Israel. And the Savior's rule and reign will be eternal. And nobody's going to break that covenant. Moreover, verse 23, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, verse 24, have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people as if they should no more be a nation before them. What's God saying here? Well, he's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, because understand at this time it was divided. They were supposed to be one people, one nation, Israel, but they split. And now you've got southern Judah and you've got the northern tribes of Israel. And if that weren't bad enough, they were casting each other off and despising one another. I love it when God does this and times this, but we're going to talk more about this when we partake together of communion. This ought not be, brothers and sisters. (laughs) We're one in Christ, and we've divided. Is the body of Christ divided? And we despise one another? We split from one another. You despise my people. Verse 25, thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. Ah, Well, enjoy this beautiful ending to the chapter, because the next chapter is not going to be as kind in the way it ends. This is how it ends. This is the future plan I have for you in the end. It ends well for you. My future plan for you is to give you hope, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to bless you. I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to return them from their captivity because I have an unbreakable covenant with them. It's not a breakable contract. That's different. It's a covenant and it's everlasting. And there's nothing or no one that can break that or stop that from happening. All right. Chapter 34. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go 
and speak to Zedekiah king of Judah and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Have a nice afternoon. So here again, the chapter starts off with an important timeline, placing this at about the 10th or 11th year of the Babylonian siege. Why is that important? Because we're going to see in a moment, um, they were there for, some believe, about a year and a half as they had besieged Jerusalem outside the city walls to starve them out, cut off their food and water supply. That's how they would take a city in those days. And by the way, there's a lesson there for those of you that have been to Israel with us. They called them tells, T-E-L's, hills, mounds. And what these tells are, are past cities that were conquered, and the new city was built on top of that, and then that was conquered, and the new city was built on top of that. And by the time (laughs) that last city was conquered, you've got a mountain of all of these layers of conquered cities, a tell. Well, how did they conquer those cities? They just cut off the water supply. Are you connecting that dot? What's our water supply? The Word of God. All the enemy has to do to conquer us, take us captive, cut off our water supply. And sometimes, sadly, he's met with a measure of success in doing so. Well, this is what the Babylonians are doing, and this is about the 10th or 11th year of that siege, which took place in three different phases, as it were. And verse 3, this is now Jeremiah How would you like to be Jeremiah? And this is the message that you have to give to this puppet king Zedekiah. Uh, And he tells him, thus says the Lord, you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, he shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet, verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. That's the mercy of God. As in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Now, this is a fascinating prophecy here in Jeremiah, and it actually comports with another prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. And now stay with me on this. In so doing, it answers the question of how Zedekiah, according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel's prophecy, goes to Babylon without seeing Babylon, which we're going to have the account of in 2 Kings. Let's start with the prophecy in Ezekiel 12. Listen to the detail and the specificity. Ezekiel 12, verse 12, And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. This is Zedekiah. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it, the walls of Jerusalem. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I, verse 13, Ezekiel 12, will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Well, that's kind of a riddle. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Jeremiah is one of those books that's not the easiest to walk through in the Old Testament. It's almost like you see the train wreck that's up ahead and you want to warn them, but they just don't listen. Then you have other verses in this book that are commonly claimed, but what does it really mean in the context of what's going on? Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But if you're looking at the train wreck up ahead, you wonder, how does claiming that verse fit with exile and judgment? Ultimately, God's plan and purpose are to bring people back to himself in reliance and dependence on him, not in their own possessions or their comfort. The same could be said for you today. You may be going through something that seems like judgment or exile, but are you drawing closer to the Lord in the process? There's a future and a hope, but it may play out differently than you'd like. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Jeremiah, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com to find these messages. There are a variety of additional resources on our website. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and then come back for our next edition where Pastor J.D. will continue on in the book of Jeremiah. We look forward to that time with you here on In Spirit and Truth.